up to Perk Havav. Havav, as we will see, is very similar to Havdalad. And um, so we have to ask ourselves the question, why is this so similar and what's the difference? And what do we learn from the difference, which is extremely important. So I think that we'll be able to do that uh, research much better after we go through. So I'm gonna screen share. Okay, so we start here. We see this is an average size peric. And they've divided into three parts. I would divide it slightly differently. Basically, what happens is we, we're setting up a, a very similar situation to one we had in Hapdalit. There are notable differences which we're going to have to pay attention to because they're important. And <clears throat> the situation is that David has Shaul in his power, and he is able to hurt Shaul, and he chooses not to. So basically, in Parakhaftalit, we had this story that uh, David was in a cave, and, uh, um, you know, perhaps we'll just go back for a second to Haftalit to see the similarities. Uh, when Shaul goes, uh, goes back from the, the, after the plishtim, they tell him that David is in a Gedi, and, and he takes 3,000 men, and he goes to search for David by the rocks of the Ibex, the wild goats, and he comes looking, he comes into a cave, and David and his men are at the back of the cave. Now, and that's after the treachery of the people of Ziph. So now we have again the same treachery with the people of Ziph, Pasagala. Well, let's look at the, the Shulav, it's easier to see. Oh, I was just going to give you the division. Okay, so the division is Basically, we set up the scene. We have David's uh, choice of action. His men here, specifically Abishai, do not want to uh, uh, listen to him, but he prevails. He doesn't hurt Shaul. And at the end, there is a dialogue with Shaul. So this is basically the three sections. Now we can look at the Mishulav here. This is a... Um, I find a very clear text in the internet. Now Yishimon is desolate. And we have this map here. David is going up and down. In Parakaf Hay, which is in between the two incidents, the story of Naval, uh, the death of Shmuel, and David meeting Abigail. So this happens in Carmel and Ma'on. And now David has gone since the death of Shmuel and after this incident, he's gone further south and the people of Ziph in the Midbar Ziph are coming after him. This is all Yehuda territory and the Midbar Ziph is in Yehuda territory. So we can see that the, the people of Ziph are really, they should be Yehuda. They should be on David's side, but they are loyal to Shmuel, uh, to Shaul. Now the question is, are they loyal because they're scared of what happened to the city of Nov? 
which was not a pretty thing? Or are they just, you know, rotten people? It, I did hear one interesting explanation. The word ziff is from ziuf. Ziuf is like a forged, like a forged document would be mashum zuyaf. So I did hear um, that the name tells you that they're, they're not good people, the zifif. In fact, we'll stop for one second to, oh, I don't know if I opened that one. No, I didn't. Okay. The, the Zifim, I did show you that to Helen. That's in, um, one second, I put up my very easily here. That's in Nun Zion. No, sorry. Wrong one. There's a whole paratilla, Nundalid, where David talks about the Zifim and how they come and tell him. And he says, um, Hashem save me from these people and judge me from these people. So now the same Zifim, these same, you know, rats come to Shoal again, Pasuk Aleph, He's down there toward the desert in, in the mountainous areas of the Chachila. And Pasuk Bet, And Shol takes, goes to Midbar Zif, to where the Zifim are, 3,000 men, these, these choice ones. We saw that Shol's preferred army is the 3,000 men. And we see that he takes all the choice men. And he goes down to look for David in Midbar Zif. Over the in the hilly area um, overlooking the desert area, the David David is in that desert. Now here is a significant difference to the story in Chafdalid. In Chafdalid, David's men know that Shaul's coming and they hide in the back of a cave. And Shaul goes in there by himself. The whole situation is uh coincidence which of course is no coincidences but you know it's not something that david expects in this case david is waiting for shoal's appearance with his men and he sees them coming through the desert and david sent spies to check and he and he found out that shoal actually is coming the, the expression El Nahon is a little interesting. It's, it's uh, something that we use in modern Hebrew, El Nahon, like for sure, for sure, right? The uh, the Radak, which I don't have in this issue, says Be'emet, uh, Be'emet, like it's, uh, it's, it's clear. So apparently, right, that that's the Radak, Be'emet Be'ruer. The Malbim says here that he had scouts, so fim, right? So fair is to, to see, to overlook, like Harat Sofim with Mount Scopus, right? That scouts, and they see an army coming of 3,000 men. But David doesn't know, the mom says, doesn't know if that's Shaul's army. It makes sense, but he sends to make sure, he sends people to find out, and he finds out that that is in, in, indeed Shaul's army, Pasakei. By Yakam David, by Yavo el Hamakoma Shachanash Shaul. 
This is a crucial difference between Perikhov Dalit and Perikhov Bob. David is now taking the initiative. He gets up and he comes to Shaul's camp. Now he's, this, it's a mountainous area, so he's high up on a mountain and he can see David's, uh, Shaul's army below. And he sees where Shaul would be sleeping. Now, we talked about this back in, in chapter 17, when the David comes to the battlefield where he's going to fight with Goliath. So over there, we see that, um, that David um, comes to an area that's called the Magala. Here it's called the Magal. So the Mepharshim explained there that the that the the army would put the the people in the middle, like let's say the king and his and his Avner in the middle, and they were surrounded by their troops. And around the end edge of this magal, this circle, they would have some sort of you know uh, gates or some kind of you know, protection to keep the people inside the Ma'agal safe. Ma'agal meaning a circle. And he sees that Shaul is there in Avner Ben-Ner. If you recall, Avner is Shaul's first cousin. Ner and Kish are brothers, the sons of Abiel. And he sees this from afar. Pasik Bob. And David speaks up and he says, who is going to come down with me to the camp of Shaul? To Shaul to the camp. And the Avishai says, I'm going to go with you. So we have to just, one second. <clears throat> <clears throat> So we just have to see that uh, who is Abishai and who is Tsuruya. So if you look in Divrei Hayamim, we see that Tsuruya is David's sister. Tsuruya is David's sister, and she has three sons, and all three sons are warriors. There's Yoav, Abishai, and Asael. Now, here we're meeting Abishai. Very interestingly, we have him identified by being the brother of Yoav. However, we actually have not met Yoav yet. So it's kind of interesting to say, oh, now you know who Abishai is because he's Yoav's brother. But who's Yoav? We didn't meet Yoav yet. However, these two particularly, also Asael, but these two particularly are going to be extremely important in David's future career. And they are David's nephews and generals. And these, these guys are not afraid of anything. So we don't know who is Achimelech Achiti. And that's a very strange story. First of all, it's not Achimelech the Kohen who was killed. Um, and it's unlikely that he's actually Achiti. Because why would David have Achiti? I mean, why would, why would he have him in his camp? Well, we already saw that Shaul had Doeg had Domi. And so the question that the, the Chazal struggle with here, and uh, it's not something that I can answer, I'll just give you the, the, the possibilities, 
that either he is a gear, like Doya Domi is an Edomite gear, and Achimelech Achiti is a um, uh, a gear from the Chitim. It's hard to imagine these things, or because of they lived amongst these people or fought a battle against them, so they were given this sort of, you know, um, nickname. Uh, there's actually a, a very interesting thing in the Dalat Mikra, I'll just mention it because I, I, I don't see any proof for it, but according to uh, Amos Chacham, Achimelech is actually Uriah Hachiti, which is a very uh, interesting formulation of Amos Chacham. I don't know if he has any solid proof on that one. In any event, David addresses these two guys and says, who's coming down with me to Shaul to his camp? Now, these guys have no idea what David has in mind. They don't know what he plans to do. And Achimelech doesn't say anything. And Abishai says, I'm coming. Okay, so he, he's only taking one person with him. The question is, why is Abishai here more prominent than Yoav? And it's not so clear. Abishai, later we're told in the Gemara that he was uh, uh, as great as half the Sanhedrin or more than half the Sanhedrin. And the question of who's older, Yoav or Abishai, I'm not sure. But in any event, we meet Abishai first. Pasik Zayim. They come to the camp quietly, and there is Shaul sleeping in this ma'agal, in this circle. In, in modern Hebrew, to smash. It sounds like now Shaul has been using this spear. We've seen him at, try to attack David with it. We've seen him try to attack Jonathan with it. The spear is almost his royal scepter. That spear is always with him. And it's next to his head, you know, st stuck into the ground. Like, you know, uh, that's that's where it is. Meirashotab, at his head. And Abner and the nation are all sleeping around him. Right. So there is this camp, and they're all asleep. Okay. So Avishai, my Yom Avishai, Pasaket El David, Sigar Elokim Hayomet Oyevcha Biyadecha Bata Akenuna Bachanit to Baaretz Pamachat Velo Eshnelo. Avishai says, you know, so my niece calls HP. It's Hashgacha Pratis. God is now giving you your enemy in your hands. I'll take the spear. I will kill him. I will strike him through the ground. I don't even have to do it twice. I'll just boom. That's a beat. Now, it's very interesting because, um, you know, striking a sleeping man is not exactly a nice thing to do. And the way Abishai reads the situation, it's Hashem. Hashem is giving you this opportunity. It's Hashgach Pratis, right? And it's it's very interesting because, you know, the career of both Abishai and Yoel is these guys are kind of trigger happy. And David is not really always on board with their, you know, activities. And here David is like, he's definitely against this. Okay. Don't 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 destroy it. Don't kill it. Who 
can set his hand against the anointed one of God and be innocent and not be punished for that. This is not this is not what I have in mind. He tells Abishai. I, I forgot to mention something, by the way, that these sons of Truya, that be, why isn't the father mentioned? It's unusual to have the name of the mother. So the Chazal say perhaps um, Truya herself, the mother, is a very, very great person. And the assumption is that whoever her husband is, he has died and she raised the children. And it's also perhaps because of the Truya was David's sister, so that's why they are connected to him. In any event, Abishai is ready to kill Sha'ol, and David says, nope. Okay. Now, the next Pasuk here, Pasuk Yud, is a very, very uh, significant Pasuk, something to really think about. Bayomer David, Chai Hashem, and he swears, Ki im Hashem migafenu, o yomo yavo David suggests three possibilities that might happen. Number one, he says, and he's swearing, God could strike him down. If you recall in the past, in the previous chapter, who did God strike down? Naval, right? He became like a stone, and 10 days later, he dies. So David has experience already. An, uh, a situation where God took vengeance for him. So he says, uh, you know, he might, he might die. God will strike him. Or makes, or he will die when he's supposed to die at the natural ending of his life. Right? Or, or he could go out to war and get killed in a battle. Now, David suggests three possibilities, and it's a very, um, this, this Pasuk is very much discussed by the Chazal. They're trying to figure out, what does it mean, Yomo Yavo? Does Yomo Yavo mean, like, you know, we say uh, he has a certain lifespan, like everybody has a certain lifespan, or is it his particular lifespan that's allotted to him? And is it possible that God will take him before his lifespan, or is that understood before you understand the philosophical difficulties of this situation, or if he goes down to battle and he dies in battle? So a number of them first should discuss it, but I'm going to show you the Ralbag here. Ralbag says um, he might, in his own, by his own choices, uh, died before his time, right? Um, sometimes God punishes him. I'm sorry, I should have gone back here. Sometimes God wants to punish him and kills him before his time. Which means to say, the limited time that he was supposed to live anyway. And that happens to, you know, that changes for every person. Or he himself, because he ends up in a dangerous situation, he may cause his own death before his allotted time. And uh, so David 
And the Rabag uses the, the, the law, the mitzvah of making a maqeh, making a fence around your roof, as proof that we, our job in this situation is we have to do the things to protect ourselves because there, there are natural forces. There is the, uh, the, the concept of punishment. God could punish someone and take away years from him for a punishment. But then there's the, the natural life that he's supposed to live. If he's going to, we say, like Hashem says, if we want God to give us the full extent of our life, lifespan, whatever it's supposed to be, then we have an obligation, and there, there are Neely's here, she'll tell it. We're supposed to guard our own health. We're supposed to eat healthy. We're supposed to sleep healthy. We're supposed to avoid dangerous situations. We're supposed to, um, you know, make make situations like the 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 fence around the roof so that we will not come into danger. Now it's actually getting back to David, but what actually David is saying here is Abishai. God is going to take care of Shaul. He's going to die. I don't have to be the one to kill him. And it sounds like certainly the death of Navo, right? David was all ready to go and kill Navo, right? He was ready to wipe out his whole family. And then Abigail stops him. And then Navo is struck by God. So David has learned something here. He's saying, you know what? I don't have to do this. You know, it's it's actually very interesting to me, you know, as, a, as an English teacher, because I always, I don't know if I can't help it, I always compare the story of David and Shaul to Macbeth, right? As soon as Macbeth has this, you know, prophecy that he's going to be the king, he goes around wiping out everybody in his way. And David's attitude is, I'm going to be the king. God will take care of it. I don't have to take care of it. I don't have to kill anybody to get to my place. And it's possible that this is what's in Abishai's mind. Here you are. You're supposed to be the king, right? And this guy is chasing you and he's trying to kill you. Let me just get rid of him. He's just going to keep on chasing you. And David is saying, but you don't understand. There are ways that God will kill him. God can, has many, many methods Right? He may just die in his bed. He may die in a battle, which in fact he does. And he may be struck by a plague like Naval was. It's, that's not for me to take care of. And it's a tremendous philosophical lesson here and a tremendous lesson in Amuna. And the Rashi says here on Chai Hashem, a very interesting Rashi, Rashi says, when David says, by the life of Hashem, it's possible that David is swearing to keep himself from his own Yetzirah. Look, he also is fed up with Shaul's constant pursuit. It's not a life to constantly be a fugitive and run from here and run from there and always be looking over your shoulder. So it's a Yetzirah for him. So Rashi says, maybe David is saying, Hi Hashem, I don't want to be the one to do this and Hashem should protect me from doing this. And Rashi's other suggestion is that he's saying to Abishai, you better not do it. Because these guys are loose cannons, and, and we'll see this later on in Shmuel, right? If you kill this righteous person, David still looks at Shaul as a righteous person. If you kill him, I'm going to mix your blood. I'm going to kill you. 
And here we have this, David is very, very strong here. And um, Avishai backs off. So we have a lot to learn from this. We we don't have to manipulate, you know, life to suit us. We can, you know, let God um, do it his way. And we have to be, be careful with our own things and take care of ourselves. And um, this is an important, important lesson. Now, the Razak, which I don't have here, but I do have, I could find the Razak. Let me see. Yeah. Interesting Razak. Okay. Okay, I'm not finding it. Don't be afraid. He's going to die. Right? And how does he know this? Right. Very, very interesting Radak. It's worth looking at it inside. According to Radak, David knows that Shaul's going to die soon because Shmuel told him. I have no idea where Radak gets that from. <laughs> but I liked it. There's two ways, actually. Either David can have that feeling, like it's it's already what we call in Yiddish Eiskespiel. David is anointed. Shoal is out of favor with God. Shoal is 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 like getting worse and worse. He's going down and down. If if we believe, if David believes that he was anointed, that he's going to become king, and he does believe, and he has a Munash Lema, it's it's going to happen soon. I don't have to precipitate this. So either David is guessing that Shaul's going to die soon, or the Radak says, David actually is a prophecy that Shaul's going to die soon. I don't have to do that. Okay, getting back to the text. God forbid that I should send my hand to the anointed one of God. Now, David uh, has a lot of respect for the office, and it's interesting because he himself is Mashiach Hashem. Perhaps somewhere in David's mind is, you know, if you if you allow a person, you know, to kill one anointed king, why shouldn't another person kill another anointed king? So he does not want that happening. And then he says to Abishai, He says, okay, just take his spear, and take the water jug and uh, his water flask, and let's go. And then, interesting enough, and they have to ask us, how come he tells Yachbishai to take it, and then he takes it himself, right? And Mitsuda says, so he said, you know, I better take it myself. He's like, I'm going to let Abishai grab the spear. Perhaps Abishai will not be able to hold himself back and he's going to kill Shaul. I better not let him take it so he takes it himself. It's, it's very interesting. <laughs> You're not sure like this guy's do it yourself. Right? 
very <laughs> lesson. Anyway, they go, the annual air, no one sees. The annual day, no one knows. Hey, my kids, and no one wakes up. How come? Ki kulam yeshenim. They're all sleeping. Ki tardemat Hashem nafla alehem. Tardema is deep, deep sleep. I don't know if we've seen this since Adam. Since Adam was put to sleep, so Chava could be created. A tardema is a very deep sleep. In fact, um, I think they call a coma in, in modern Hebrew tardemet. I think so, right? And of course, as uh, my sister will tell you, a an, an anesthesiologist is a rofe mardim, right? Puts you into tardemet. What do we make of this miraculous sleep, right? A kaddish baruch Hu is I mean, you understand Abishai saying, look, look, it's Hashgach HaPratis. And David is saying, no, I'm actually not going to interpret Hashgach HaPratis to do something that's not right, right? If Hashem gives me the opportunity to do something that, that's not right, that's actually the Yetzirah. That's actually a test. And I want to pass this test. I don't want to say, oh, it's Hashgach HaPratis to do an Avera or something wrong. That's not the way it goes. So he's like, he's given this God, uh, godly miracle that nobody moves and everyone sleeps. Now I want to share with you a medrash that I I like. Now it didn't come out exactly right. So I'm going to have to just read it. Now, if you recall back in, in um, uh, when David is running away, he goes to Gat. If you recall, we thought that was very odd. And Achish, the king of God, you know, people come to him and say, well, what, what are you doing here? David is the guy who killed Goliath of God. And David makes himself crazy. So there's a very beautiful medrash here where David says, like, uh, you know, um, there's three parts of the medrash. Part one is that when he says, why did you make crazy people? And God says, you're going to find out. And then when he is in danger by Achish, um, so he, uh, God says, he says to God, give me a little bit of that craziness. And he, he saves himself this way. And that's, um, that's immortalized in Tehillim Lama Dali. But this was cut off a little, so I just want to read you the bottom. Right at the bottom here. Here. David was once sitting in his garden and he saw a hornet eating a spider. What good are these creatures? The hornet loses its its honey. The bee, the bee loses its honey. doesn't have any uh, enjoyment from its its uh, its honey. A spider weaves all year long and has nothing to wear. Are you making fun of my creatures? The time will come and you will need them. Back in chapter 24, when David is hiding in the cave, 
a miracle happens that a spider makes a big spider web at the entrance of the cave. And if you wondered why Shaul felt so safe to go into the cave, it's because he saw this big spider web. And when you see a big spider web, you don't think anybody's on the other side of it because if anyone went in, they would have broken the web. He saw the web. No one came in here because otherwise he would rip the web. Right? And when David saw the spider, he kissed him and he said, He kissed the spider, which I know that's kind of revolting to us anti insect types, but he said, Oh, this is a miracle. This is our parrot. <clears throat> when David found Shaul sleeping in the circle, Amna was sleeping by the entrance of his tent, and his head was in the entrance, and his feet were in the other entrance facing, and his feet were straight forward. They were straight. David came, and he stepped between his legs to take the water, and Amner, it's... it's through his sleep, um, closed his legs, and he was stuck. And of course, he's in a deep, deep sleep, so he doesn't know what he's doing, but David's stuck between these strong legs. And David asked Hashem to help him. He said, Keli, Keli, Lama Zabtani, which is the beginning of Tehillim Chavbet, 22. And that's when the bee helped him because the bee stung Abner and so he moved and David was able to be free. And that that point David says to Hashem, uh, your creatures are amazing. I hear and that is uh I always like that Eddish. Okay, moving right along. Fasik Yud Gimel. David went over to the other side. And he stood up on a mountain from a distance, a far distance between them. Now, if you think about the two incidents, okay, so first of all, in, in Perikhaf Dalid, we said David was in the cave and Shaul came in there. So that whole thing was like a whole surprise. What do we do now? Shaul's here, he's alone. And when Shaul left and David had cut his cloak, so Shaul, David followed him a certain uh, amount of distance and he was alone with him. And he said, look, I have this piece of your cloak. In this case, David initiates this whole encounter. David goes uh, deliberately down to the camp of Shaul, much in the same way that Yonatan and his armor bearer do in, in, uh, back in, against the Plishtim. And it's all David's initiative. And when he comes down there, he takes Shaul's spear and he takes his water. And now he makes himself a very far distance and he stands on the mountainside so that he can call. This is also, also a safe distance and it's also acoustics. So everybody can hear, right? <laughs> First, David calls the nation, hey guys. And then he calls Avner, saying, Hello, Tane Avner. Avner, will you not answer me? 
Who is that calling to the king? Now, first of all, the first question he asked was like, David is calling you, Abner. So why do you say who's calling the king? So it would seem that it would be, you know, if anyone actually was calling and they should be calling the king. So out of respect, they don't say, hey, king, which is not respectful. So they say, hey, Abner, I want to talk to the king. So Abner assumes that David is calling for the king. And he, does, he doesn't acknowledge who it is. So the question is, is Abner aware that it's David calling him? Or is he not? Okay. And that's open to discussion. We don't have any proof. But he does not at any point let on that he knows he's talking to David. So it's possible he doesn't. And Pasik, so Mia um, one of the things that also the Radak says, you're waking up the king. It's an interesting Radak. Don't, don't, don't yell, right? Waking up the king. Hello, Ishata. Hey, Avner. You're a big, important guy. You're the great, uh, you know, commander in chief of Shoal's army. Who is like you in Israel? How come? How come you weren't watching your king? You're falling down the job. Because a, a guy came, like he, he referring to himself, one of the people, he's putting himself into a, you know, a humble capacity. See, somebody could come and kill your king. He's your master. Where are you? You're falling asleep on the job. Get with the program. And he's yelling it out there, right? <clears throat> and he says, It's a very bad thing you did here. It's not good. And he says, it's a rotten thing. You've done a bad thing and you deserve death for it because you didn't guard your master, the anointed one of God, right? You didn't guard him and you deserve death. And see, Check it out and see where is his spear and where is his water jug. In other words, he's doing what he did before with the corner of the cloak. And he's saying, I have proof that I was down there and could have killed Shaul and I did it. I have proof. I have his spear and I have his water jug. What do you think about that out there? Now, in order to understand this exchange, we've got to go to the Medrash. Okay, so this is the Tehillim. Uh, okay. The nuns by the way, the 50s are uh, in Tehillim are a lot of them referencing David's life. For the conductor, al do not destroy. Okay, now you see that do not destroy here, reflecting back to what David had said to Avishai, al don't destroy him. And Pasuk Bet, ha'umnam, 
אלם. צדק תדבר, ומישרים תשפטו בני אדם. Now look at the Rashi here. Rashi says, מזמור זה אמר על שבא אל המעגל ששור שוכב שם, ולקח את החנית וצפח את והלך לו, וקרא הלוטה נאבנר. כלומר, היי, לא, יש לך אתה להוכיח ושאול הרותו, שעל חינם הוא עודפני. שאילו רציתי להרטיב, וכך אמר בשירו, האומנם נעלם מפיכם הצדק שהיה לכם לדבר? Now, Elam is mute. Is it true that you are mute, that you do not speak uh, righteousness? You should have said, right? Now, the, the rest of the parak, it's a very interesting parak, is talking, is basically, um, you know, a uh, judgment against Avner. David feels, let's see if I did not lose that medrash, there it is. David feels that Abner is responsible for the fact that he and Shaul are not able to get together. Why? Because, look at the Medrash, right? Amar Shlomo ha-pach-pach, right? A person who keeps flipping sides. Shaul was ha-pach-pach, right? He said to David in Perich Haftalid, you are more righteous than me. I, I, uh, You went out to, uh, I went out to search you and to kill you, and you found me and didn't kill me, right? And then it says, Kevin Shalach Shaul Amulo Gibarol the Shaul, the Chibishvil Shalach Haragchad David Bamaran, I said to him, you think David's a tzaddik because he didn't kill you in the cave, right? If he, he knows that if he had hurt you, we would have come after him and, and cut him up limb from limb. And he was afraid of us. And he, uh, Shaul was like impressed by this. He said, oh, you're right. And he also said, okay, uh, when he came in there, they were all asleep, right? Right? When he calls to Avner, hello, Tadne Avner. Remember, he said, when I cut the cloak, you said, Besira Huada. In other words, according to the Medrash, when Shaul and David had the encounter in chapter 24, he cut his cloak and When David says, you see, I could have killed you, I had cut this cloak. And Shaul is very, very emotional about it. He says, you're right, my son David, I don't want to hurt you, you're right. And it's like very, very sad. And there, right, why is he chasing him again? Because Avner said to him, you think he didn't kill you because he, when he could have, he, he knew we'd kill him, we'd take him from limb from limb if he hurt you. And number two, What do you, what's the big deal with the torn cloak? You actually ripped it on a thorn bush and he found the piece. In other words, you weren't actually in his power. So now David, right, has heard the, 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 these things that Abner said. Abner has basically prevented Shaul from forgiving David and for getting back together with David. So now David has an in for Abner. He says, Abner, what are you going to answer me now? You see I have his spear. You see I have his water. 
what are you gonna ask me now? Did I did I did that also happen? Because he 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 um uh was cut off on a bush, right? And Amner is Elaine, the 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 uh Pasuk intelligent El Elaine. He he doesn't have what to say. It says, if you can't speak tzedek, if you can't speak right righteousness, then you can't shouldn't speak anything. And Abner doesn't have what to answer him. Deb is very angry. So you might want to know like what's going on with Doeg. Where is Doeg? If if Abner's the bad guy in these stories, and Abner's the one who's prevented them from, from getting back together. We actually, it's interesting, we don't hear from Doeg. After the Nob incident, it seems like, you know, Doeg is on the outs. He was not, uh, we don't hear from him again. It's interesting. Now, Pasekid Zion by Yaker, Charlotte, Kol David. Avner may pretend he doesn't hear in the midst of it. And Avner may say, I don't know who you are. Or maybe he knows and he, he pretends he doesn't, or maybe he doesn't know, but Shaul knows. Shaul recognizes the voice of David by Yomer. Is that your voice, my son? I find this extremely poignant, you know, because he said this last time. There's a relationship there. And when he's in his bad spirit, he's like, And now it's like, Is that you, my son, David? It's my voice, my master, the king. I'm not a rebel. You're my king. I'm your servant. But back in chapter 24, David says, Avi, Avi, hey, he calls him my father. He doesn't call him my father here. David's kind of had enough. And it's just this hafachpachpa, it says in the Medrash. He says, I am your loyal servant. It is me, David. But he doesn't call him my father, even though Shaul says my son. Why are you chasing me? What have I done to you? What have I done wrong? Let my master, the king, hear the words of his servant. This is a very difficult passage. And a problematic one. So let's just try to make sense out of it. He says, there are two possibilities here. And he didn't say this. And, and Parak Kapdali did not say these two possibilities. He says, people have been telling you Lush Nahal about me. Not just Doig, but also Avner. So the second half of what David proposes is that people are talking about me. But the first part is maybe God is 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 uh pushing you against me and that is like a kind of strange thing to say like what do you mean what do you mean is god right but the das maker says you do he he's referring to the evil spirit the evil spirit that that god pushes you after me like a maybe yarach minchana yarach is from the word reach maybe we can make a an offering to god we can appease god it's a very very strange concept and the Mephorsh should talk a lot about it. What does he mean? And Rashi says, I'll daven and, and, you know, I'll make, we'll make a carbon. It's a, we'll appease God. Maybe somehow we can convince God to take away your Ruach Ra, which is, you know, um, lit up, so to speak, against me. But if it's people who are 
inciting you against me, cursed are they before God, because they expel me today from adding myself on to the Nachla uh, Bashem, as if to say, go and serve other gods. Now, histapeach is from the root of sepach, the hitpael of sepach. Histapeach is to add on, an appendix is a sepach uh, <coughs> or a nispach, right? I want to be in the Nachla Bashem. I want to be in, in the in the land, the Chazal, basically, the, the bottom line is they understand this to mean to be in the land of Israel. Where is David forced to run away to? He runs away to God. He runs away to Moab. He he cannot stick around because as long as he's in Shoal's jurisdiction, he has to, he, he might be killed. So, um, and there's a whole discussion in, in the Gemara. We don't have any, we're running out of time here. But what does this have to do with uh, serving of Odazara? So the Gemara, is this the one, right? It's an interesting Gemara. Gemara says that a person should always live in Israel, even if he lives in a place uh, that where there are um, not uh, non-Jews, right? And better than living in Chutzlots, okay? Now, I, don't, I have no intention of offending people who do not live in the land of Israel. But if that's the Gemara. Gemara says, David is basically saying, what your people are doing is pushing me out of the, my land, as if to say, go serve other gods, because I'm no longer part of, of Jewish people. Now, Rashi says here, And it's a very important addition that Rashi makes here. If there is a Beit Mikdash, and you send someone away from the land, then you're telling him to, to serve idols. But if there is no Beit Mikdash, it's not the same thing. That's what Rashi seems to say. But in any event, it seems as if David is very resentful of the fact that he has to run away. He has to hide among the non-Jews. This is a terrible thing. And now, let me not uh, be killed from before God because the king of Israel, this is not appropriate for you to chase after a flea flitting from place to place as if a person is chasing a, you know, a meaty bird, like a, a partridge in the trees. And here is the real admission that he makes and he makes it publicly. He makes it in front of all his people. It's more that he did in chapter 24. I sinned. Come back. I won't do anything bad to you anymore. Because I see that my, my life is precious in your eyes. I was foolish. I made many, many mistakes. And here we have, right, a, a number of very important lessons. And one is, you, whatever your temptations are, you keep yourself to the right road. Make sure that you can have that moral high ground. And if you make mistakes, admit them. It takes Shaul a very long time. You saw with Amalek in chapter 15. He can't admit his mistakes. It's quite sad. And here he says, David, I sinned. I was foolish. I made many mistakes. It's very sad. And David, he 
he hears it, but like, you know, come back? I don't think so. Here's your spear. Let someone come and get it. I'm not coming back. You shut that door, Shaul. It's done. That's the end of this. And Hashem should reward a man when he, for his righteous behavior and for his faithfulness. Because Hashem gave you my hand today. And I did not want to send my hand against the anointed of God. And behold, just as your soul was great in my eyes, so too will, should my soul be great in the eyes of God, and he shall save me from all troubles. So it's a kind of, you know, a sad thing. The David is not willing to come back. David is not willing to listen to what Shaul proposes. He says, Come get your spear. Let someone come and get the spear. I'll give it back to you. The water jug is not important. We're not even talking about it. It's lower. Low, uh, low hashu. But, you know, every tzaddik should be rewarded for his righteousness, including me. I've done a good thing. And God should reward me for this because, you know, I, even though I, your life is precious in my eyes, I'm not sure my life is precious in your eyes. And Shaul ends by saying, And Shaul blesses David. It's a very, very interesting kind of, you know, ending. You are blessed. You will do. You will succeed. And the interesting thing is that this is really the last time they see each other. So they're leaving in a note where David says to him, I never tried to hurt you. I never did anything to you. I had opportunities to hurt you and I didn't. Like, I'm, I'm totally innocent here. And Shaul says to David, God bless you. You're going to succeed. And the sort of subtext is, you'll be a successful king. I wasn't, which is very sad. And David goes on his way and Shaul goes back to his place. That's also, we saw that in, in Parak Gimel, it's kind of a code for Shaul is no longer able to grow. David's going to go on his path. He's going to become greater and greater. But Shaul is just sort of stuck, goes back to his place. He can't go ahead. Now, I found an interesting thing that I wanted to share with you. I'm looking at the clock. Okay, I have a minute for this. A very interesting uh, comment. Now, we asked the question, I asked you the question, What's the difference between chapter 24 and chapter 26? And why do we need two versions of a very similar story? So if we examine the two stories and, you know, just to just basically say, first of all, the first one, like I said, David, David is surprised, right? And here David is the initiator. Secondly, David is, um, he seems to be fully in control of the situation here. It's like when he goes over to Shaul with the knife and then he cuts his cloak, it's as if he's not quite sure what he's going to do to Shaul until he gets there and then he cuts the cloak. But 
now he's he's made a conscious decision. We're going to go down there and we're going to, you know, not going to hurt him. We're not going to hurt him. And he takes him his spear, which is his weapon, and he doesn't hurt him. And so there's a qualitative difference here between the spear and the cut cloak. First of all, if you think about it, the cut cloak, it may not be a big deal, but it is very disrespectful to the king's clothing. And it's, it's David is going to be punished for it, even though he could have hurt him, but he didn't. But when he takes the spear, he gives it back. That's reversible. And he's definitely got, you know, what we would call here the moral high ground. Now, Rabbi Amnon Bazak, who's uh, from the Torah Haaretzion, has a very, very interesting discussion of the two stories. I want to show this to you. Upon close examination, we see it is precisely the parallel points in the two stories that sharpen the essential difference between them, making the two stories necessary. Right? In chapter 24, there's a certain failing on the part of David. Initially, he failed to respond to his men's call for action. It was only after he rose up and cut off the skirt of Shaul, a step involving scorn and violation of the king, that he went back to rebuke his men. In chapter 26, David goes down to his camp with no intention of causing harm. The present counter is not accidental. It's David's initiative, stemming from his desire to prove to Shaul that he has no intention of hurting him. It is only Abishai who proposes, not David. And David rejects his proposal. In chapter 24, he cuts off the skirt of Shaul's robe. And that's irreversible and humiliating. In chapter 26, he takes a spear and he later returns it to Shaul. When it stands to reason, Rabbi Bazak says, taking the spear, which Shaul had several times thrown at David, serves to allude to Shaul that he does not need it. We see then that chapter 26 is not similar to chapter 24. Chapter 26 is a repair of chapter 24. David repairs the shortcomings that manifested themselves in the first account. Right? And you see here, chapter 26 gives the expression of the fact that David is mending his ways in this story, help arrived from God, something that is not mentioned in chapter 24. The Tardema is God's contribution to this story. Right? What brought about the change in David? It seems that we can sum it up in one word. Abigail. In chapter 25, we saw Abigail's influence upon David and her success in preventing David from killing Nabal for no justifiable reason. Following David's marriage to Abigail, her influence upon him is evident and a more temperate spirit now accompanies him. Chapter 25's location between the two similar accounts in 24 and 26 is not coincidental. This chapter is the key to understanding the differences between the two accounts. I found this very fascinating. The relationship between chapter 26 and chapter 25 is also evident from a linguistic and substantive perspective. David's words to Avishai, right? The Lord may smite him. It parallels what was said about Nabal and the Lord smote Nabal. David understood that one who wishes to cause him harm will be smitten by God and not David himself. So I thought that was a very, very beautiful analysis of it. In other words, David is coming from a place where he's learned a lesson in his interaction with Nabal and Abigail. He's learned that he doesn't have to be the one to bring the nakama on his enemies. God is the one who will do it for him. 
And God has many ways to do that. And Abigail has taught him a certain amount of judgment and temperance, which I thought was a very beautiful thought. Okay, now I can take questions if anyone has. Okay. I, I realized that last week I I had I had you all on mute the whole time. So if you ask me questions, I, I didn't hear anything. So I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Anyway. So all of our learning should be in the schutz of the Hatufim and the Chayalim, and they should all come back safely. Kadosh Baruch Hu can get involved, should get involved. We wanted to get involved, and, uh, you know, Gam Aso Yaseh, Gam Yachol Gam Kadu, take care of these matters for us. Anyway, anybody have questions, thoughts? ideas no I, I just wanted to comment on the extremely disturbing when they call shaul hafachfach or hamahapech we see it in this chapter so clearly it's one minute he's you know so tough and um and scary and the next minute he's so soft and it, I, it is like I see why David just wants to get away from him, and it's just almost impossible to deal with a person like that. And it's sad. It's very sad. And you know that's when you have to figure out, like when he when he says, David says, maybe God incited you against me. So the Chazal say God is not very happy with the use of that language, and he punishes him. Later on, with the when he counts the people at the end of Shmobet, but but the Das Mikra says that in a certain sense the Ruach Ra is God's way of you know, and and the whole story is kind of you know inexplicable. We we were you know trying to figure that out, but Shaul is is a very tragic figure. It's a very tragic figure because he's. He, you know, deep down, he loves David, you know, but he's David, like, you know, is that you? And he sees that David doesn't want to hurt him and he can't seem to help himself. Come back, come back, we'll be friends again. And David's like, it's too late, you know, that that chapter is closed. It's done, I'm leaving. And, you know, they never see each other again. It's just like very, very sad. And he knows that Shoal's time is running out. David seems to know that one way or another. But he just, he wants Shoal to know, I have nothing against you. I have nothing against you. It's, it's interesting because one of the things that we definitely see in these chapters, like what's, what's the point of them in general? It's definitely a growth curve for David. Like when, when we are finished with Shmuel Aleph, we have a very, very solid sense of David as a leader, as a tzaddik, as a human being. Like he's he's developed in ways that are like amazing. He's been tested in so many different ways. <clears throat> so when I get to Shmuel Bet, you can see that, you know, he does have, you know, certain things. But because we know him from Shmuel Aleph, we're willing to say, okay, you know, he he is 
you know, he's got uh, his challenges, but he's he's really grown a tremendous amount. He's become a very, very great person. And um, it's yeah. one of the only characters in the Tanakh that we, we get to see his, you know, his development in all these different stories, right? It's like how he becomes from this like young boy and how, you know, he grows. The Abigail story is really a turning point because, you know, she says to him, um, what are you doing? You don't want to, you don't want to be that, you know, shuttle in a fit killing out off. No, do you want to be that? You don't want to be that. The and, power of a woman, of a good woman. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. So I, I, I many times do not agree with Rabbi Basak. I read his stuff and I'm like, I know. He he's provocative sometimes. He is. It's very interesting. It's very worth reading, but I'm like, no, I I don't see it that way. But this one I'm like, I think he really hit the nail on the head. He really hit the nail on the head because you can see when he says maybe God will smite him, because that's what God did to Neville. So he's like that that paracafe is really kind of opened his mind, David. It's like, yeah, actually, I don't need to do this. Uh, God, yeah, what a what a complicated interwoven yeah. family problem. Oof. I, I, I really? Okay. But we're very much out of time, so I'm going to have to leave. Okay, okay, we'll do it next. Wait. Um, Next week? No. Next week is Shabbos Hanukkah. Like, so I don't know what to say. Well, I mean, next Tuesday is Hanukkah. Right, but is that is that a reason not to learn? I don't know. I don't know, but... Um, uh, I don't know. Ask your people. I don't know. People have things. People have parties. People have. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll put it on the chat. We we should we should learn lichvod Hanukkah, you know. <laughs> but uh, I hate to not learn in such a matzah. Feel like learning is very important. Yeah. I totally intended to learn. Um, okay, sorry. <laughs> Delete what I said. <laughs> so think about it. Maybe we'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll speak with uh, the powers that be. Uh, let's see what's happening. Any thoughts from anybody here? Next About time? Hanukkah? Yeah. My kids will be home in the day for the day in America. A lot of a lot of the schools are uh, off on Monday, Tuesday. Definitely. I'd be here. Who was that, Hannah? Shana? That was Shana. Shana. Shandel. Maybe you could spend just a few minutes at the beginning of next time speaking about Michal. Good try. 
I have it all prepared and then I just got started and went to talk. Okay, I'll make a note for myself. Yeah, chapter 27. I think it's a very short chapter, so it should be okay. He's also one of the few figures that we have that we, I feel like we have such a sense of his inner world because of the Tehillim. That's true. We don't usually get that kind of insight into like the heart of the of of our of the figures in Tanakh. Yeah. And it's like I keep trying to, you know, interweave the Tehillim with the chapters that we're learning because there really is some, you know, some power there. So this one he's like, it's kind of creepy how he he really is not very happy with Omnair. He's kind of wishing some really rotten stuff on Omnair. It's like, okay. Yeah, because you you misjudged me and you you closed the door for me to you know make up with Shaul and you know and God's gonna get you for that. It's basically it. it's very interesting though. One of the things about Tillam is that kind of almost every parak kind of ends on a high note, even if it's really a rough one. Mm. At the end, he'll say, "Yeah, but it's all good." Oh, good. The very big mommy. That's true. We need that. Yeah, we need that. Amuna. Right. And then he's like, Al Tashchait. Don't destroy. Don't destroy. We should hear good things, good news, and Hanukkah Sameah. And I will. Update everyone on the chat once we figure this out what we're doing. Thank you so much. Have a further Hanukkah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Amy. you. Bye.